Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Talk about a contrast. Ordinary people getting waiting in line for an hour for a box of food. And the policies in the past created more billionaires than ever in American history. Folks, it's hard to believe, but it's true. That's what we inherited. And then, with your help, we went to work with an economic vision that looks out from Scranton, Pennsylvania, hardworking towns like it all across America, not down from Wall Street. Wall Street didn't build this country. The middle class built this country. And unions built the middle class. <laughs> I'm not joking. Without unions, there'd be no middle class. It's always good when Joe Biden's yelling at you. It reminds you that uh, that whatever drugs they're pumping through them are still working. What a conversation he's having there in front of the AFL-CIO. Unions built the middle class. Without the middle class, we'd be a bunch of nothings. Man, if it wasn't for the middle class, Scranton wouldn't even exist. I'm from Scranton. I'm scrappy. I'm scrappy. I'm from Scranton. Look at me. Why do I sound like Jason Sudeikis doing Joe Biden? I don't. I don't know. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. 833-GOT-TONY. 833-468-8669. You think this economy is going well? Show me. Show me. Wait, before you do, let me share this with you. It's from the Daily Mail. White House says Biden has sparked historic economic boom as the Dow plunges into bear market amid record inflation, high gas prices, and recession fears. This is what America is saying. This is what the Biden administration is saying. Wholesale prices are up 10.8% in May, a record annual pace. We're near the record. And the Dow is down 192 after being down 800. Tell us more, President Biden, about how you're all about the unions and America's just doing just great. That's a fact. By the way, there's a reason. You're the best trained workers in the world. That's not hyperbole. When you do well, everybody does well. You know, if investment bankers in America, they're not all bad guys. They're not bad. But I guess what? If they went on strike, not a whole hell of a lot would happen. Okay. This is Joe Biden. Just just hours ago, speaking at this uh, AFL-CIO convention. And, I mean, th- these are his people, right? These are his people. And listen to the things that he is just unbelievably proud of. Like ending right to work. As they say, Claymont, y'all bring me to the dance. Thank you. Please, please have a seat if there is one. <laughs> You're a gigantic reason why I'm standing here. Standing here today as your president. I really mean it. I owe you from the very beginning of my running for office back when I was a kid. It was labor, unions, made a difference. At the time, we were right to work state, and we changed that too. You've 
I've never forgotten not only what you've done for me, but how importantly it meant to me. You bragging about not being right to work? Right to work means you're not forced into a union. You're, you're, you're proud. You're proud of this. Man, it, it is clear that we're starting to understand the level of disconnect between you and the American people. This is ideological. Ideological. I mean, how else do you explain this? And I remember us having this discussion, old buddy. When I think global warming, I think jobs. Jobs, jobs, jobs. Good paying union jobs. Jobs you can raise a family on. Jobs you can't out be outsourced. Look. The infra- Funny, when kids are told about global warming, they're told about death, 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 destruction, destruction, destruction. Dead parents, sea levels rising, total destruction of humanity. Uh, but, uh, but not Joe Biden. Nah, global warming is thinking about the future. I don't know. Get some a little, get some a little, I don't know, titillated, one would assume. Yes, 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 yes. I put out a video yesterday discussing this this constant refrain from the administration that everything's going well and the constant reality that not everything is going well. Why do they do what they do? And some people argue, well, this is exactly what they want. They want to destroy it. They want to burn it all down. I always argue that that is not the way to engage a conversation. As a matter of fact, I think that is a massive mistake. Don't do it. However, we should give that conversation its due. That if you believe that the future is green, the only way you can sell people on the idea of green this, of solar this, of wind that. I mean, this is an administration that has announced they're investing in hydrogen. I have no argument against hydrogen. It doesn't replace gasoline today. And the story is about today and tomorrow. And hydrogen doesn't uh, replace anything tomorrow. Their desire is to keep oil prices high so the green looks like a solid investment in comparison. Artificial markets are what they're all about. Let me say it again. Artificial markets are what they are all about. The ideology comes before the American. I've often said uh, that they put their ideology before their humanity. Well, in this case, that humanity is is the American citizen. The American citizen deals with $5.25 gas on average. That's okay. They'll thank us. The American citizen has shelves that are empty way too often. That's okay. They'll learn to do with less, and they'll be happier. A lot of that great reset kind of talk. The... the, um, the idea that somehow, because of cafe standards, cars are, are safer when an accident, you know, will kill everybody in the car because the cars are built lighter, etc. No, no, no. It's fine. They'll do less driving and they'll be better for the environment. You see, they'll appreciate us. Ideologically, they believe in something that requires the destruction of you to get to the desires of them.
And if you think that is just some claptrap, just some me talking, listen to them. Listen to them tell you that everything going on is just fine. Listen to these people. Listen to Corinne Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, tell you that everything's fine in the economy. But we are coming out of the strongest job market in, in American history, and that matters. And that a lot of that is thanks to the American Rescue Plan, which only Democrats uh, voted for that. Republicans did not. And it led to uh, this, this economic boom, this, this historic economic boom that we're seeing and with jobs. And historic inflation? No, that is not that is that is that is not uh, that is not how we're seeing the American Rescue Plan. So you'll take you think that it's all credit and and no uh, nothing detrimental. You really think that the one point nine trillion is nothing detrimental? Can you imagine if we had gone forward with Build Back Better and the four point seven trillion dollars? How bad things would be? How rough things would be? Where inflation would be right now? You can find, actually, that story. Uh, they, they wrote about it a bit at americansforprosperity.org. Now, full disclosure, I do work with Americans for Prosperity. I am paid to do work with Americans for Prosperity. I'm always very, very clear about those things. But if, if Manchin hadn't been standing in the way, if Republicans hadn't said no, that's another $4.7 trillion. How bad would inflation be right now? The $1.9 trillion, look at all the good work it's doing. It's not the problem. It's not the, the outrageous spending. Spending is always a problem. Too much cash and not enough stuff. Still haven't fixed supply chain. You have no fixing of oil prices, and you don't seem to care because your point of view, your value system, is in direct contra- contrast and conflict with the American people. With where Americans live and breathe day in and day out, at least the Americans who actually go to work and do something and create something and want to build something. The takers, the leeches, well, they they're, they they don't care as long as they get a check. But the creators, the builders, the doers, which the country cannot live without. You want to argue that it's the unions that created the middle class? I argue it's the entrepreneur. And that is not to give short shrift of unions. My issue is not with people in a union. My issue is with union leadership that only has one political ideology and utilizes the money from union folk and and the, and the rank and file to move their ideology. I can't stand those people. People who join a union, they're they're working. And to work in a certain place, you got to join the union. I mean, that's just that's just the way it goes. I'm not part of a radio union. I am not I'm not SAG-AFTRA. I mean, I guess I could be. I never, I never considered it. But I wasn't forced into it. Some people for certain industries are forced into it. That's, that's the gig. They're forced into the thing. I don't think you should be forced into anything. And so when Joe Biden is proud of, of Delaware not being a right-to-work state, that's messed up. That's messed up. But that is ideology over the American people. And we see it again and again and again and again. And we hear it from Corinne Jean-Pierre. And he goes in front of this, this crew of people from the AFL-CIO.
And he says, well, you know, to deal with this inflation, we'll just we'll just tax the rich. But on rent and mortgage costs, high speed Internet, you guys out there are going to be putting on high speed and we've already got the money for it, billions of dollars. Well, guess what? When you get it done, it's going to lower the cost of high speed Internet for every family in America by 30 bucks a month. That's a lot of money. And it's a lot of jobs. Look, we can do all this. I'm asking, all I'm asking is for the largest corporations and the wealthiest Americans to begin to pay their fair share in taxes. The same hateful garbage message. Because the ideology comes first. That is who Joe Biden is. That's who the progressives are. Totally disconnected, not because they don't see the pain that Americans are going through, but because they believe that in the end, Americans will thank them. This is all necessary to create the world they know is better. Like they know anything. I'm Tony Katz. So they were supposed to have another January 6th hearing today. And then they're, they were like, oh, no, nah, no, nah, we're, 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 we're kidding. We had technical issues. Technical issues? What in the world? What are you even remotely talking about? According to our representative, is it Zoe Lofgren or is it Zoe Lofgren? She's from California. The delay is to give staffers more time to prepare the committee's extensive video presentations. Um, you mean you didn't have it all together? Odd. But okay. No, you take your time. You take your time to craft your story any way you want. And then we'll ask the question of when is there any chance for retort? The interesting piece here is that this is being put out like this is the only way the subject can be seen, and there is no other way to look at it. Now, um, there, there, there's no doubt that um, you've got some things that look bad for, for people in, in, in Trump land. For example... That Kimberly Guilfoyle was paid $60,000 to give a speech at Donald Trump's January 6th rally. It was two minutes. Two and a half minutes, and it was an introduction. And the, the committee is very upset about this. She's telling Jake Tapper, I'm not saying it's a crime, but it's a grift. Oh, dear Lord. I can point you to a lot of grifts, starting with Black Lives Matter and working my way up or down, depending on how you look at these things. That's not an argument that makes insurrection. That's an argument that makes people say, that's politics, baby. What else is new? What else you got for me, Zoe, Zoe, Zoe? It's a grift. Okay. 
I see what Bill Clinton gets paid. You know it was a grift? The Clinton Global Initiative. Because what that guy got paid before Hillary Clinton lost the election and what he got paid after are very, very different things. The only reason people gave to the Clinton Global Initiative is because they were paying for access. In case Hillary became president, they wanted the access. Otherwise, they would have donated directly to their own charities. You think somebody really needs to pay half a million dollars? Yeah, half a million. Half a million dollars to hear uh, Bill Clinton go... Of course not. The only reason to do that was to get to Hillary. That's a grift. Welcome to the wide world of politics. I don't know. I was thinking of politics. I was trying to make a joke. It didn't come out well at all. Welcome to it. None of this, by the way, has anything to do with insurrection. You want to argue that Trump's a bad guy? You want to argue that Trump should have done this, that, or the other? What what was the one? Uh, Giuliani was drunk. He was loaded. He was blank-faced. And uh, people were taking advice from him on how to deal with the election. Well, that's pretty that's pretty daffy. That's a bad look if that's the case. You know what it is? Not insurrection. Isn't that what this is all about? No, it's not what it's all about, is it? It's all about finding ways to diminish Trump, attack Trump, abuse Trump with no recourse. That's what it's all about. Don't forget about it. Don't forget. Oh, and, and I've been trying to understand what this story is with with Sean Hannity and and the and the pardon. Hannity wanted Trump um to pardon Hunter Biden as a way of healing the wounds of his presidency. Um I Sure, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I got to assume if they have the text messages, they have the text messages. But why is the, why does this even matter? If Hannity suggested something, he suggested it. If Trump was interested in it, he was interested in it. Would I have done it? N- no. But he's talking about some high-level politics of how you try and smooth the waters. I don't think you have to smooth any waters. But even this has nothing to do with insurrection because it wasn't an insurrection and Trump did not incite an insurrection. That's all. No matter what they put out, and some of it is salacious and some of it has yet to have any rebuttal, they haven't proved insurrection and they never, ever will. What's going on with the Supreme Court? We'll discuss that next. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. It's a twofer, really, because I caught this story over at Politico, and I'm like, man, I am hoping this is true regarding putting an end to the tyranny of agencies in America. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's great to be with you. I'm like, man, I got to talk to William Jacobson about this. Cornell Law Professor in the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. And then I'm over at LegalInsurrection.com. And I read, Washington State Supreme Court imposes different standards on police seizures for whites and BIPOC, which stands for Black Indigenous People of Color. And I said, oh, 
Oh, it's a twofer today. William Jacobson joins us right now. Cornell Law Professor, LegalInsurrection.com. Let's start with Washington State because you share uh, the language that they use in, in their decisions. And they are what they're saying is if police are involved in a lawful stop, detention or arrest, the idea of even asking for ID has to be measured against the skin color or the race of the possible suspect and if the suspect or, or a possible suspect is uh, of color that might be an unlawful seizure that's what they're saying right well that, that's right what it is the context is a little nuanced is that somebody was in a car police at, in the middle of the night sleeping there with somebody else in a high crime area they knocked on the window asked him for identification he gave them false name and false date of birth. When they went back to the police car to check it, they took off in their car. So, it's, uh, you know, the, the car escape has been charged, convicted. That's not challenged. But whether he can be prosecuted for giving the policeman false information turns on whether he was, quote unquote, seized at the time. Because if he so did the police need a warrant to ask him for identification? And what the court said is that the sweeping ruling, I mean, they clearly chose this case, even though it really didn't warrant it, to announce a new policy going forward and the new policy going forward that and, and I don't I've never seen a court use the term BIPOC, B-I-P-O-C. So that's black, indigenous and other people of color. That's the way the court described it. If a BIPOC person is involved, you have to take race into account in terms of whether this constitutes the person being seized, meaning they don't feel comfortable leaving. They don't feel that they have the ability to leave, whereas a white person in the same circumstance might feel the ability to leave. So it creates this real schism in the law that how a suspect is treated under the law and whether evidence can be used and whether they're deemed seized as a constitutional matter turns on whether they are white or not. And, I, and it really is a clear distinction because BIPOC is this vague, unclear term that has come into fashion only in the last two years. Uh, and I prove that in my post. It's like the new trendy term. So if you are BIPOC, you have essentially a presumption that being asked for information from the police is a seizure. Now, the police could rebut it, could could say other things. Um, but if you're white, you don't get that presumption. It's really a horrible, horrible ruling. And it, it's what you would expect at a campus tribunal, not at the Supreme Court of a How state. does... How does the Supreme Court of Washington State come to a place that clearly is engaging separate but equal? I mean, outsider looking in, not a lawyer, didn't even play one on TV. I saw three episodes of Matlock in my whole life. But it clearly is engaging the idea of separate but equal in this, aren't they? Well, what they're saying is that, yes, you treat um, BIPOC, um, which is such a broad term. Um, it, it basically means non-white, but it's even vaguer than that, because who would be BIPOC? Well, Elizabeth Warren might because she claimed to be Native American, so she claimed to be indigenous. It's a, a, a really vague term, but what it's clearly meant by the court is anybody who's not white. That's when you read it in context, that's what they're talking about. And, and two separate standards. Now, it would be one thing, and there was a, the, this court cited to a court in New Hampshire um, and some vague language in some other federal cases that race can be a consideration 
It's not barred. And, and I think we could imagine circumstances where perhaps the policeman made some comments about race that might, uh, as an evidentiary matter, make that person who is the target of the comments feel they couldn't leave. They didn't have that free will to leave. So it, it's one thing to say that race might be on the facts of a particular case, um, a relevant consideration as to when, whether somebody's been seized. But this doesn't go there. This is everybody anybody who is BIPOC enters into that relationship with the police um, with the presumption that there is systemic racism and that they are going to be treated unfairly and therefore they don't feel free to leave whereas a white person might be and so they are seized and you know who, who is included in BIPOC I mean it's not just black Americans it's indigenous whatever that means it is People, person of color, what does that even mean? Uh, because some of the things I cited in my, my post about this is that the survey data and the academic data shows that various non-white groups have very different experiences with the police, have very different perceptions of the police, have very different perceptions of policing. But to lump them all into one basket and call it BIPOC and treat them like they are fungible people um, just because their skin tone might be a little uh, more than white. And of course, how do we know what person of color even means? Because how much color do you need in your skin? Is somebody from Southern Europe a person of color. I mean, there are people from Southern Italy and from Sicily who, you know, uh, their skin color is certainly darker than somebody from Norway. So, ha you know, this is just a, an absurd standard. It's something you would expect from a campus DEI office. Uh, and now it's the law, uh, according to the Supreme Court of the state of Washington. It's it's madness. You bring up some wonderful points about how do you determine these things and the whole idea uh, in terms of, of color and ethnicity and, and then the whole idea of, of feeling comfortable to believe comfortable to leave or, or not is that seems rather subjective to the outsider looking in talking to William Jacobson, Cornell law professor, the mind behind legal insurrection.com. Now, all eyes have been on the Supreme Court regarding the Roe v. Wade decision and will there be an overturning? We know that we've got the the draft leak of Justice Samuel Alito that would show a 5-3 decision, doesn't include John Roberts in this draft about overturning Roe v. Wade, returning abortion as a conversation uh, to, to the states. And there's a conversation about uh, this leak and why don't we know who the leaker is uh, yet? But one of the other stories Politico brought up and it was about the idea that the EPA power or EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, their power to restrict greenhouse gases could be restricted because, as we've seen in the agency class, they're given this unlimited power. They can make regulations. They have the full force and effect of law. And there's really nothing the American people can do about it. But the argument is, is that a John Roberts court, Chief Justice John Roberts, always believes that it's the legislature that really needs to be doing the heavy lifting. So do, are the agencies usurping the power of the legislature, which is the power of the people, to have their representatives make laws? What do you know about what's in front of the Supreme Court right now, and where do we think this is going to go? Well, uh, the lead case, and there are several consolidated cases, is West Virginia versus EPA. And it has to do with a provision uh, under the Clean Air Act that was passed that basically says to the EPA, go do whatever you want to do to bring down greenhouse gases. OK. And of course, as we know that so it essentially gives them complete control over the economy to do whatever they want to do. 
uh, and, and that's the issue. You know, there is no provision in the act as a legislative matter that tells the APA what to do. But the question becomes, can you essentially delegate this legislative authority to the EPA as an agency uh, under a vague mandate and say, you know, now you have control of the U.S. economy, essentially. Anything that involves you know, uh, greenhouse gases, anything that involves carbon, you know, you, you can now do whatever you want to do. Uh, and, and that's essentially this vague provision has given to the EPA. And, and it's being challenged that you can't do that. You can't just essentially designate an agency as a super legislature to do anything it wants to do with regard to the economy. And so the the argument is, and I, I, I didn't listen to the argument, but I've seen reviews of the oral argument. The uh, reviews are predicting that this will fall, that this will fall. And then the question becomes, what kind of ripple effect does that have throughout the federal bureaucracy? Because one of the big issues is you have a permanent bureaucracy that uh, acts like a legislature, not just on this, but on, you know, a hundred different things. And so this could be, I've seen the term, you know, the unraveling of the administrative state, things like that. And maybe it will be, maybe it won't be, but I think people are expecting this provision to fall. So when the provision falls, it it ends the you know, I refer to it as the tyranny of the agency is this this fourth branch of government that that it's become it is it is it requiring that it, one of the things that the, the article discusses is the idea of major decisions, not necessarily minor decisions. Has there been any conversation of how that is delineated major decision versus minor decision? And is there any conversation that you've heard about what happens when the agencies? can't go about doing what they've done and now Congress has to deal with the full weight of their job versus piecemealing out parts of their job and what their response is. Well, it will increase the the workload on our lazy Congress, uh, and it probably will result in nothing getting done because this is, and that's why you know this is such a hot button issue that you know the the, the new Green Deal, all of these sort of things are predicated on reducing the whole nation's carbon footprint even though without these regulations is being reduced anyway. So the question, you know, so this is something that really empowers the federal government. And, you know, I I don't think people really know what's going to happen. A lot will depend, obviously, on the language that the Supreme Court uses in the decision deciding it. You bring up uh, the Green New Deal, talking to William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. You bring up the Green New Deal, and that's just a great example of what it is that the the – but political left, and, and I guess you could find cases, I, I would be a fool to say that there haven't been moments where the political right has done it, but we see so many cases on the political left, when they can't get something done via the vote, they utilize the courts, or they utilize agencies to do their work for them. So in, in if you were, as, as an observer, looking at the overturning of Roe v. Wade, or the overturning of this, there's, there's the idea of two things, uh, the shock value value and then the long-term effect if you were ranking these two decisions if if roe v wade got overturned and this idea about agencies got overturned and congress actually has to do his job which one has the more overarching effect on our lives uh, I well politically there's no question that Correct. the mississippi abortion case i mean there's 
there's going to be an explosion. Um, you know, Democrats are already threatening it. Chuck Schumer has threatened it. Joe Biden said there'll be a revolution. So, I mean, there's no question that in terms of our politics and everything else, the Roe v. Wade decision is the big one. I mean, it's going to be on the day it's released, like it was Obamacare in 2012, maybe even bigger, uh, you know. And so that is no question the big one. From a, a kind of a legal point of view, from a, you know, pinheaded legal point of view, the, the EPA one actually is more significant because uh, the Roe v. Wade decision really, you know, won't change a lot in most states. Um, you know, it will change it in some states uh, because those states will then have the right, the ability to restrict abortion. But, you know, New York, Illinois, California have already announced they're going to become abortion tourist de- destinations. I think New York has a bill currently to subsidize people to come to New York. I don't know if it's been signed yet or it's about to be signed to subsidize people to come to New York for abortion. So uh, the access to abortions uh, may be limited in some states, but there will be. Uh, plenty of opportunity for people to have abortions, uh, whereas this administrative state thing from a purely legal point of view, taking out the po- politics will have far reaching ramifications for how the federal government conducts itself for decades. William Jacobson, find him at LegalInsurrection.com, LegalInsurrection.com, and check out the foundation as well and be supportive of that. Also, his work on critical race theory and sharing what's going on across the country. William Jacobson, always a pleasure. More coming up. I'm Tony Katz. Show me your soul. I gotta know best that you're beautiful inside. It's 14 million degrees outside. All right. Maybe it's less, but how could you tell? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Just sheer brutality with that that real feel uh, heat index uh, going to be uh, getting us to 110 degrees with with that humidity uh, going on. It's just going to be with us for the next few days. So stay hydrated, stay safe is, is the best I can do for you. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, safe and hydrated, my people. Do that. Uh, Coinbase which uh, deals in crypto. Should I take a look at where the crypto is? No? Yes? No? Yeah, I won't. I won't. <sighs> I have got a lot of people in my ear saying, oh, this is beautiful. Wait wait for the bounce, daddy, in this uh, conversation. Turns out I'm daddy. Uh, and they're like, oh, oh it's going to be so good. Oh, load up now. Load up now. I'm like, all right, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll load up. I'll load up now. I'm not loading up anything right now. I just, I'm, I'm still going to see where it is. The, it's been crazy, crazy swings. But Coinbase, which is a, um, a, a, a cryptocurrency platform, they're laying off 18% of their workforce as executives prepare for recession and crypto winter. Two men ninja! One man needs! Two men ninja! One man needs! Two men ninja! One man needs! Crypto winter! That is so awesome. That is so fantastic. I don't, I don't know what that's supposed to mean. But it doesn't sound good. It's like nuclear winter. But, you know, more about me. 
That's that's rough. Uh, even BlockFi, which is a crypto startup that was started by Peter Thiel, uh, that, they've cut 20% of their staff. It, it's, it's, yeah. I, I think it's interesting that there are people out there saying, oh my gosh, I lost everything. You mean you put everything into this? You mortgaged the house? You did all the thing? Did, did, did it not dawn on you that things can go south? Look, if I were to sell right now, I've lost some money. I'm not going to lie. But I didn't put in the money that I need to, to live. I've got time. I can watch it come back. I can see what happens. Now, the fact that my timing was garbage and I bought some things when they were at near highs, well, I just suck. Don't ever, ever, ever take investing advice from me. By the way, uh, producer, sorry, how is the sound sounding right there? Is it sounding better? Sounds good to me. All right, because I've been having this, this issue. Been having this weird sound issue. So I figured I'd take this time to check. Why wait for a commercial break when I can do it on the air? It's professional. That's what it is, ladies and gentlemen. That's the kind of guy I am. Find everything at TonyCats.com. More coming up. This is Tony Katz today.